Okay, today it's uh, part four and the last part of the series we've been teaching for a while now. Perilous men for perilous times, a form of godliness today. A form of godliness, part four. I'm not sure whether we going to cover all this, but uh, this may need to be split, but let's see how it, the Lord leads. We will do four readings today, and we start with the first one, Second Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 to 5, and then 2 Timothy 4, 3 to 4. So that's 2 Timothy chapter 3, 1 to 5. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good. Traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Verse 5. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And from such people, turn away. Chapter 4, verse 3 to 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. I'm reading that again. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Now, fables are... And real stories. If you've studied French literature, there is something called Fable de la Fontaine. You know, where animals are playing roles like humans being. That's a fable. It's not true. It's not the reality. The Bible is saying that in the latter days, in the last days, people will not endure sound doctrine but they will heap up. I've told you so many times that English is a beautiful language. They will heap up for themselves, teachers. They will qualify for themselves, teachers, because of what they want to hear themselves. So the teachers will be a reflection of what they want to hear themselves and will not endure, bear 
with sound doctrines, but will turn themselves aside to fable. How tragic. Fable and real story. Lies, deception. And people will give themselves to that willingly, voluntarily, and happily. As though that was not enough, they will create more false teachers to satisfy what they want to hear. How sad. Well, it doesn't matter who those teachers are. It doesn't matter. If they are false, they are false. It doesn't matter how reputable they are. Nobody is above biblical scrutiny. Nobody. Paul wasn't and never complained when he was scrutinized by the Bereans. He never complained. Who do you think I am? No. Paul had received the greatest revelation out of all the apostles. Well, maybe except John, John at the end in Revelation. But he never complained that he was being scrutinized. In fact, he said they were more fair-minded than the Thessalonians. Meaning, he approved that behavior. Everyone must be scrutinized. If you are a Bible teacher, you have to undergo biblical scrutiny, whoever you are. And it is biblical. Because you see, these days, you know, the more people make many views on the internet, the more it spread, the more they get acceptance. The more they are validated. And many, many few little people know that they make a lot of money out of that as well, as the Bible says. Nobody should be above scrutiny, and the people of God should never be intimidated. You have the Bible. Do you remember that the Bible gives us the right to test everything? Everything to test. How can we test everything? These are very complicated stuff. Sometimes in the spiritual realm, how do you test everything? If someone comes and says, thus says the Lord, how do you test that? The word of God. The word of God. I'm going to give you an example. If someone stands here and starts saying stuff and then say, thus says the Lord, I'm the Lord saying that, do not panic. Do you know what the Bible says? Just keep quiet and listen. Carefully, you will know that that's not God speaking. Don't panic. Don't think, oh, what's going to happen? You know, a spiritual gift. We don't know how to handle it. Keep quiet. That's what the Bible says. Let the person go to the end, and you will know if it's of God or not. As simple as that. We're making things complicated because we want them to be complicated. If someone stands and gives a prophecy in tongues, he, don't panic. Let him go to the end. If we believe that the Holy Spirit is leading us, he will not leave us just to go astray like that. No, it doesn't work like that. These things are simple to the simple in heart. You know, you get in some congregation, someone stand and give and prophesy, and everybody starts panicking. They say, oh, we don't know where it's going to end. Now, I will just keep quiet, even if they take two hours. Keep quiet. By the way, if it takes two hours, you know already. What is happening? <laughs> Don't panic. Don't go and tap him on the shoulder. That's too long. Just keep quiet. You will hear toward the end, we start saying, be patient with me. It's a bit long this morning. 
And then that says the Lord. Now, the Lord is a God of order. Is all in the Bible, etc. Unnecessary digression. Perilous and or terrible times are the general condition or context of this prophecy. This is a prophecy that was given and telling us already the, the condition, the context, the outlook, the environment of the last days. And we know these things. And we need to take heed because we know these things. There, is things, there are things happening outside the church against Christ, but there are things happening inside the church against Christ as well. I'm talking about the body of Christ. Now, when we read what we've just read here, Paul does not picture a gradual victory of Christianity where Christians will take over the whole world before Christ returns. To the contrary, and he doesn't predict a Christian victory that will transform the whole world towards some just moral society. Instead, he pictures increasing moral deterioration sustained and promoted by those who are lovers of themselves, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure, rather than God, yet keeping an outward form of godliness, but actually denying the power of genuine godliness. That's the context. Then you hear people saying, oh, Christians are going to take over the whole world. You know, all of us will be CEOs, you know, and everywhere, you know, we'll all be Bill Gates, etc., because his dominion is this and that. That's not the picture we see here. We're going to transform in this world into a very peaceful, quiet, moral excellence. No. In fact, the Lord said, because of increase in iniquity, the love of many will grow cold. That's the picture. As it was in the days of Noah, as it was in the days of Lot, until Christ, the Christ of God, comes back and restores everything because it's the Tsar Shalom, the Prince of Peace. But in the meantime, that kind of peace, which the world does not know, is ruling in our heart already. Despite everything that is happening around us, the peace of Christ is ruling in our heart. At least must rule in our heart. A Christian is not a troubled person. now, Because Christ is the one who is able to calm the storm starting in our heart. Make your request be known by God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will keep your heart and mind in Christ. You make your request known by God. You cast your cares, your burden to the Lord and his peace. What a friend we have in Jesus. What peace we often forfeit all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. We are responsible. Because we want to take everything. We are always give this illustration. You know, you... You, you buy a bag of rice, 20 kilos, let's say, and then you stop a very nice, beautiful black cab. And then you get in the black cab, and you sit down and you say, uh, 
It makes me feel good if I carry this bag myself and you put it on your shoulder. So you are in the black cab and then you have that you will be more tired than if you walk by foot. And that's what we do. Yeah, I am in Christ, but I'm carrying everything myself. Where Christ is inviting the weary and the tired to come to him. And he will lighten. We don't want that. We are in Christ, and then we have all our burden, you know. You know, we're miserable, and that makes us feel good, and we think that is spirituality. That misery, not spirituality. Christ has delivered us. A good sister in this congregation told me once, um, we have to travel light. Light. Travel light. Why are you carrying all that yourself? Just think about the illustration I've given you about the black cup. That's not good. You are in Christ. Live the liberty, the freedom, the lightness that is in Christ. And not in the guilt of your own life. Now, do you know something that has happened in the New Testament? It wasn't in the Old Testament. Is the fact that when the Lord forgives, He also forgets. And He wants you, like Him, to forget and to trust that He has forgiven you. The Holy Spirit, unlike in the Old, Old Testament, will now do the work of cleansing your conscience so that that thing does not torment you all the time. That's something new in the New Testament and we need to understand these things. Christ has forgiven me. Why should I be guilty of the same thing? Where is peace? Where is freedom then? I'm still bound and intimidated, traumatized by my past. What kind of new creation is that? Another unnecessary digression. Let's go back. Now, humans may adopt a form of religion, but the reality of their values and life will deny the power of godliness. In the last days, people will have a form, an appearance, outwardly of godliness, but inside they will deny the power of godliness. Now the picture we're having here is rather a picture of an apostate's condition sustained and promoted by deceiving spirit and doctrine of demons. Remember what we say when we're talking about people being lovers of God? I think we've uh, 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 shared together that these things are very complex and demonic things that have a satanic origin and are thrown onto people in, in disguise as a, someone, I think it's Professor Richard Lyons. He's a professor of the economics of happiness. He says that happiness should just be defined as everything that is pleasant to anyone. 
That's what he says in the House of Parliament in the debate on happiness. And they've backed up that with, uh, you know, robust theories and things about that, etc. So anything that is pleasant to me, that's my happiness. So you don't have to define for me what happiness means, you know. If I say happiness is to know the Lord, well, that's for me. That applies to me. Everyone has his definition of happiness. And it's called the science of happiness. Deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Remember, in Revelation chapter 16, verse 14, the Apostle John saw three unclean spirits like frogs. Revelation 16, 14. Coming out of the mouth of what? Of the dragon, of the beast, and of the false prophet. Who is the dragon? The father of lies. Who is the beast? The son of perdition. Who is the false prophet? The spirit of error. So that is a parody of a satanic trinity. What does the Bible say? Those spirits go to the king of this earth to gather them against God. Seducing spirit and doctrines of demons. What do we do? We've been warned by the Bible, the word of God, who was, is, and yet is to come. That take heed, test all things. But you see, we are also inviting the body of Christ and people are Keeping up for themselves teachers who will teach something contrary to the doctrine of God. And we shall see, God willing, that the doctrine of God, when preaching the Bible, it must be the, the central element after salvation is godliness, holiness. Because without sanctification, no one will see God. God is holy and he wants his people to be holy. That is the distinctive trait of the children of God. See the difference between a sheep and a swine. You know, a swine delight in, you know, in, 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 the, in the mud. They like that, but not the sheep. We are the sheep. You know what sheep means? In Greek, pro-button. Pro-button. Pro-forward. Button. Firmly. Moving forward firmly. And who is at the front? The shepherd. We follow the shepherd. We are his sheep. His people. We are a new creation. And we need by our life to demonstrate that the Lord lives in us. Because we are salt and light in this world. A form of godliness. Perilous men for perilous times, a form of godliness. Now, what is another expression for godliness? It's holiness. It's holiness. It's the life of God in us, that godliness. But what's another expression for a form of godliness? You see, since godliness is all about the Lord's character and life, now displaying outwardly a form of godliness 
It's merely religion. Any serious Christian gets very nervous if he's called religious. We know in the past, when things were a bit clear in past centuries, religion seemed to mean something good in those times. When they say religion, they refer to Christianity. But nowadays, religious means something else. Christianity is not about religion. It's about a personal relationship with God. It's God tabernacling, God coming down here to us. And not us trying to make things to please God and gain salvation. Religion from Latin, from, from Latin words, religare. Now, religare means obligation, bond, reverence. In religare. A bond, obligation. But then in religare, you have the word ligare inside. Ligare is classically understood to mean linking humans being to divinity. So that gives you the classic understanding of the word religion. And that's why you have so many of them. Because everyone is promising, you know, a good life. Everyone is even promising to come back as many times as you can. I remember a Hindu teacher uh, was once asked, uh, can a human being be reincarnated as a, as a snake? What would be what would be the, the, the possible reason? Because they say if you are a husband, you know, mistreating your wife, you, you will come back as a, a wife to be beaten. So how that applies to a snake? He says, uh, I don't know, but uh, you may become a good snake or a bad snake. The next question was, well, what is the difference between a good snake and a bad snake? He said, nonsense. Nonsense. So are we going to continue like that? Perpetuating evil? Because you did bad, you come back so that they will do bad to you. The hopeless religion. In Christianity, there will be the final victory of the holy God over evil. The end of evil and sin. God will do everything new. That's the hope. Never to sin again. We will be delivered altogether from sin. And we will never sin again. And God will wipe away all sin. All tears from our eyes. There will be no more sorrow. Nothing. No suffering. Nothing. That's what we're looking for. That's Christianity. People are caught up in the bondage of religion. Trying to do things to try that they can gain salvation. That a filthy rat. It's not possible. A form of godliness. Now, there are quite a few stuff here I'm going to skip. Uh, just to let you know that uh, a final version of this will be prepared. All four parts, all of them. If you need a copy, just let me now, I'll be happy to email you the full teaching if you want. Now, 
it is interesting that on the list that is given to us here, a form of godliness is listed the last. But it's not the least. It's the last. It seems to be the main feature of the last days. You know, people, lovers of themselves, lovers of money, and then to close the discussion, they will still have those people who replace everything instead of God, but we still keep a form of godliness. That's the trap. That's the snare. And many people, we follow them. So they will do an inside job relaying the work that is being done outside, but all inspired by deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. What do we do? How do we survive that? One answer. The word of God and the Holy Spirit. Those are the Lord's secret agents. Now, this passage tells us that this man, now when we say man, you know, we're not excluding, excluding women. No. When you say men will be lovers, we're talking about human beings here. Let's be clear. Oh, us men, they're always like that. <laughs> now, one, I'm not surprised that Paul had that revelation. They're always like that. A form of godliness. That is, a vain, empty show of piety and religion which discovers itself in external devotion, in a profession of the Christian faith, in an external show of mortification. Oh, so mortified. So sad. Like the Pharisees, you know, when they were fasting, they don't say, no, 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 no. You can wash, you know, have a good bath when you, know, when you fast, you know. You can even put some lotion, some cream on you, yeah? You don't have to show everybody that I'm fasting, you know. But that's what the Pharisees looked like, you know. They had a ban, they have a ribbon here where they wrote all their sins forgiven. Can you believe that? And standing on the corner of the street, everybody can read on the garment that they've been forgiven. A form of religion. The Bible says, whitewashed tomb full of bones, rotten bones. You stand at the door. You can't enter, you can't come out, but you stop people from entering and finding God. Whitewashed tomb, a form of godliness. They lack the power of godliness, that is, the truth and sincerity of godliness, which consists in true love of God and our neighbor. Now, the apostle directs us towards a behavior. What should we do about that? Emphatically, turn away. Turn away. Otherwise, you'll be carried away. Turn away. If you're sitting in a church where people are teaching these kind of things here, then you're going to be carried away. In French, we say, L'appétit vient en mangeant. You know, appetite comes as you eat. They also say, 
à force de voir le mal, on ne voit plus le mal. The more you see evil, the less you see it as evil. Turn away is the solution from those. And seek the purity, the truthfulness of the gospel, the genuine gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the only way we can survive. Some preliminary lesson to draw from this text. Number one, a person may go far or may seem to go far and advance high in spirituality in an external profession of piety and faith and yet have no more than a form of godliness. Dangerous state to be in. That despite this, despite this, there is such a thing as the internal and inward power of godliness which few maintain but most deny. The fact that many people are pursuing that form of godliness does not void the fact that the genuine, the true is there and there are people who are upholding the true. So we should not be discouraged because most of people seem to go this way now. There is that song that says, though none go with me, I still will follow. It doesn't matter how many. No wonder Paul could declare, I know whom I have believed. Do we know whom we have believed? Or our faith depends on the surrounding environment. It's important that we are very clear as to whom we have believed in. What he teaches. What he's done, what he does, and what is his plan. That's the only way we can stand and survive. That we should not be like children tossed to and fro, carried away by every wind of doctrine. Every. Christian must, must avoid familiarity and turn away from enemies of Christ and his church. In fact, the Bible says, Bad company corrupt good character. If I spend all my time listening to these people on YouTube, I will end up trusting what they say. And the word of God will enter into conflict with man-made philosophy, whoever they are. Turn away. Why can't we just focus on the Bible itself? Why? Why? Why do we spend so much time following people? Yes, there is room for uh, godly edification, but we need discernment for that. But start with the Bible itself. The Holy Spirit teaches things. And God will give you daily bread, what you need. You know what? We are after greater knowledge. Every new thing we want. We want to be ahead of the game. Such of say this. Have you seen that video? What about the Bible itself? So many people profess to be members of the body of Christ, but they actually deny his power, showing by their lives 
that they have not the spirit of the saving truth in them and have not experienced its renewing and sanctifying power. William Booth, who is, uh, I believe, the founder of the Salvation Army, uh, wrote this thought here. He says, the chief danger of the 20th century will be religion without the Holy Spirit, will be Christianity without Christ, will be the idea of forgiveness without repentance, will be the idea of proclaiming salvation without the real salvation, without being actually regenerated, saved, born again. No, everybody's talking about salvation, but without the substance. He say it will be the widespread politics without God. And people will preach heaven without mentioning hell because it's offending. Denying the power of godliness. That is opposing the real power of godliness. That is not allowing the power of godliness to exercise any influence on, our, on, on, on lives. Because when the power of godliness, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, his words are received, they will exercise some restraint on our lives. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. There will be some restriction. There will be some breaks in our lives. We won't just be doing anything we want to do now. We will obey God. That was the power, the origin of the power of godliness. When received, will do that purifying and sanctifying work. But these people here will keep an outward appearance. Parody, but will deny everything. Denying the power of godliness means denying everything. Because his divine power has given us everything that pertains to life and to godliness. But they will deny that. That means denying God himself. What does the Bible say? Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Christ was manifest in flesh. Christ is the power of godliness. And it's a mystery that sinners can live the life of God. It's a mystery. They will deny that power. That means denying Christ himself. Do you understand that? This is very serious. But people will still heap up for themselves teachers. Because that's what they want to hear. A form of godliness. Well... It seems much easier to observe forms of religion than it is to bring one's heart under the transforming power and obedience of the Holy Spirit. It's easier. You shall know them by their fruit. Writing to believers, 
Jude, in verse 3, set himself to write to them concerning our common faith. He wanted to write to the believers about our common faith. Halfway through, change in direction. direction. I'm in Jude, verse 3. But he found it necessary to exhort the believers to contend for the faith, to contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Do we understand that? Once for all delivered to the saints. There is a chain. Christianity, the Christian doctrine, has its history and a journey that can be traced back right to the time of the apostle. That is the Bible. Anything in between, anything new is a fraud. Whoever says it. How can we contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all delivered to the same if God allowed any new doctrine all the time? How do we know that it's that original faith that was passed on to us, passed down once for all? What kind of revelation would that be that contradicts the clear teaching of the Bible? Turn away. Whoever says it. It doesn't matter how big people are worshipping them. If it's false, it's false. And we have the right to contend. See those words? Test all things. Contend for the faith. That was once for all delivered to the saints. Well, we need to know which faith was once for all delivered to the saints. God cannot just leave it to speculation. No. That's not God. Because the Holy Spirit is there. Making sure that the word of God, the clean, divine faith is there. Both its object and its subject and its purpose maintained by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit testify in your heart, in every believer, that we belong to God. There's no doubt about that. Inward testimony. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables, again fables, when we made known to you the power and the coming of of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well, to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. More of that in a minute. That's 2 Peter chapter 1, what I've just read. No, I'm not going to do this digression again, no. Oh, no, it is, it's important. I mentioned to you at the beginning Professor Lord Richard Lyot, 
who is a specialist in uh, economics of happiness. He set up an organization called Action for Happiness. And he suggested that happiness could become a new secular spirituality. Ah. So, pleasure is not just a philosophy now. It becomes actually a religion with all the justification. But secular. What does it say? It says it is important for happiness to become a secular spirituality in order to feel, listen carefully, in order to feel the God whole, H-O-L-E. The God whole left by the decline of Christianity. Does that make sense to you now? Lovers of pleasure rather than replacement now. These are not just entertainment now. These are demonically inspired philosophy, religions. And people are very serious. They are very convinced that Christianity is in decline and will disappear. We need to fight to find the replacement. And this prophecy is suggesting this secular spirituality. How many people do you think will be willing for this? In particular, if at the core of it, pleasure means whatever is pleasant for me. Who would care about eternal, eternal life? Can you see how serious this is? Now, to have people amongst us laying hands and strength to that and speak about hedonism, we shouldn't be intimidated. We need to expose that. We have to expose that. Whoever said it. Richard Laird suggests that well-being should be defined simply as pleasant feelings. He tries to make people more aware of simple well-being techniques, like meditations or the stoic techniques of knowing what you can control and what you can't. Now, if everyone is able to define what happiness means for them and replace, remove God and put pleasure... Why do they need meditation and yoga? To harmonize the flow of energy in the universe. Why? Well, I've known someone who, you know, practiced a lot of meditation. And, uh, and uh, one day the person came to me at 12 o'clock. 12 o'clock. And said, oh, I'm so depressed, I'm distressed, I've already had my sixth cup of coffee. Oh, I thought you were a master yogi. Where is the calmness and harmony? Six cup grande coffee. Six Americano. Where is yoga? Where is the harmony? Where is it gone? Lies. Lies. What does the Bible say? 
in the multitude of my anxieties within me, your comfort delight my soul. Psalm 94 verse 19. The way to deal with anxiety in the Lord. We can. The word of God is living, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword to do what? Able to divide between soul and spirit. Can do that. Can do the work. Can help us. Because it is the sword of the spirit. Why can't we trust the living word of God? Why? You see, from time to time, we send a few verses here and there, and usually we have this response, that's what I needed. That's really comforting for me. You see, the word of God is comforting people. But that's only the verse. What if you spend time reading yourself? How comforted do you think you will be? If you immerse yourself in the it takes time and dedication. I will be honest with you. It's no longer the time of eating the scroll. You got to sit down and read. It takes time. It takes investment in time. It's in competition with anything else. The amount of message people get on WhatsApp, you know, on Instagram, there's no time left for the Bible. Well, if that's the case, then you will always suffer malnutrition spiritually. God will honor those who honor him. It takes time and dedication and commitment. I know the debate, oh, gee, you're teaching salvation by work. No, I'm already saved by grace. I'm just teaching Christian discipline. It's biblical. We need to pray. You know? Yes, Jesus is doing it in heaven, but he said we should do it here as well. You know? We always speak about having our heart in heaven when Christ is sitting at the right hand of the Father and our feet on the ground. On March the 19th, 2013, the first United Nations International Day of Happiness was celebrated in the House of Lords, led by happiness economist Richard Lyon. See the influence of one man? These people will give everything to get the agenda pushed to the House of Parliament and everywhere. What do we do about this? He speaks of God whole left by Christianity. Really? Who should we trust? Him or Christ who said, I will build my church and the gate of the Hades will not prevail against him? He's talking about the decline of Christianity? Really? Really? I don't even know if he's still alive because I'm quoting from 2013. But Christ is evermore alive. I told you the story of this uh, friend, uh, this brother who was uh, committed to the uh, private chapel of the, of the queen. And uh, he told me that, uh, he, he told the story, he said, one Sunday, you know, during prayer, he, he saw the queen kneeling down and praying. And he realized that Christ is the king of kings. King of kings, Christ is. The gates of the Hades will not prevail against it. That means the church and Christ has its enemies actively seeking to destroy the church. 
And because that cannot be done, then there is something called infiltration. There is something called deception. Cunningly devised fables appealing to the believers who lack discernment to snatch them away. That's the way of weakening the church. By elevating and exalting people who are speaking in the name of the, in the, name of the whole church. You know, there was a time where at the World Council of Churches, I think the Pope was there, and Billy Graham was there representing all the evangelicals. And speaking for us all. Surely Christ himself wasn't welcome in those places. Because how do you deal with that? You know, you say, okay, let's forget our differences. Let's focus on what unites us. Let's be tolerant. Okay. And uh, I was told that there was an association created in America uh, to promote uh, tolerance. And they had the constitution and, and founding uh, uh, documentation, governing document. And the first sentence was, we will not tolerate. <laughs> In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, don't turn to it, I will quote it for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 to 5, we are told. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. For pulling down strongholds, casting down argument and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. That's the work, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit and the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit do in us. When all those troubling information comes, we're not even sure is that true, what is that, you know, this philosophy. The word of God will help to bring down those falsehoods. Anything that tries to bring down, oppose the knowledge of God, the word of God with the Holy Spirit will do the work of protecting us. Therefore, it's important that we are immersed in the word of God and that we are filled with the Holy Spirit in order to stand in these last days. In this passage, argument means imagination or reasoning that try to exalt themselves above the knowledge of God. Things such as evolutionism, secular humanism, social Darwinism, paganism, humanistic economics philosophy, consumerism, etc., Someone say we don't need to deal with tomorrow because in the long run we're all dead. That John Maynard Keynes. Does that uh, remind you something? Epicureanism. Happiness. Let's enjoy now. Tomorrow, don't deal with that. Don't think about the next generation. Let them, them just enjoy today. For tomorrow we all die. I told you about David Cameron who launched the idea of measuring happiness index in November 2010. The first annual results were published in July 2012. According to the independent newspaper published in July 24, 2012, the average Briton rates their life satisfaction at 7.4 out of 10. So that's 74% of happiness for the average Briton. But that was only based on 200,000 people out of all the million. Oh, 
Now with COVID, I wish they do the same. Test and see how 70% people are happy. Changing. Our happiness, joy, does not depend on these things. It is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. We look to Christ, regardless of what happened. Paul said, uh, for me to live is Christ and to die is a gain. Change in attitude towards death. What does the Bible say? Precious in the sight of God is the death of his saints. That's our standards. That's our attitude towards death. I told our children, yes, I was ill. People prayed for me. But I have, okay, I don't want to offend anybody. Let me say the most important thing. But God is the ultimate, you know, uh, uh, decision maker, if I may say it like that. He decided, you know, most of the people were praying because of the work of the ministry. Oh, Lord, you know, he's a Christian, he's a preacher, the church. I say myself, come on. Okay. I'm not 5% of uh, uh, Bill Randall's ministry. I'm not 5%, even, even not 2%. More experience, more season, better Christian, more experience. We've prayed the same way we pray for me. Why has God decided to take him? So let's be careful here in the way we perceive things. Let's not be inconsiderate you know, that we will continue to living, living, living. That's falsehood. At some point, things will stop. Younger people go. Baby, sinless baby, go. With zero days, they go. What have they done? God decides upon every life. Let's be careful with this prosperity God. Every day God will heal. Every day we will heal if you want. False gospel. Be prepared and live on a daily basis. Cling on to the Lord on a daily basis because he may decide something else. What about a group of 14 very good believers in Burkina Faso in the year 1998? They went for a time of retreat and prayer and fasting for a few days. They hired a van, and when they came back, there was an accident. All 14 died. Were they sinners? Can you believe that? After seven days of fasting and praying, coming back, you know, restored by the Lord God, all 14 of them. Domwen spoke of uh, someone who they went in a retreat as well and they both capsized. He said that in one of the testimony. Everybody died except one person. They were coming from praying. Let's not be inconsiderate and influenced by prosperity gospel. Paul was prepared. I'm ready, he said. I'm divided between going and staying with you. Obviously, it's much better to go and be with the Lord, but for your sake. That means if God keeps me alive, it's for your sake. It's to live for God, not to increase in lawlessness. Do not be conformed to the system of this world, but be renewed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that we may be able to discern the will of God that which is good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. A renewing is important. We need the Holy Spirit. The genuineness of faith. Writing to the young pastor Timothy Paul said to him, now the Spirit said expressly that in the latter day, some will depart from the faith, 
giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrine of demons. People will have a form of godliness but deny, will deny its power. Okay. I think I predicted that it will not be possible to cover this. Let me, let me kind and not abuse of your patience. However, let's read from 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Verse 3 to 5. 1 Timothy 6, 3 to 5. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accord with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with dispute and argument over words from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions. Useless wranglings of men of corrupt mind and destitute of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain from such withdraw yourself. Huh. Another heavy truth here. Do you remember I told you that the teaching of the biblical doctrine must align with godliness? must align with godliness. The people of God must be taught to flee from sin because God is holy. How can I say I love Jesus who came to die for sin and rejoice and enjoy sin? What kind of love is that? Because coming into the world, Christ was introduced as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, we love him. How can we enjoy sin? Godliness must be taught and must be uphold in the church of the living God. That is, if someone comes in here and spends two hours with us here, whether in our fellowship time, in our time of prayer, they must be, see the difference. In the way we dress, in the way we talk, in the way we joke, in the way we do everything, they must see difference. Because in other places, you don't need two minutes before everyone is swearing. Cussing and cursing and blaspheming. But in the house of the Lord is a different picture. Hmm. Now, have you just noticed that? If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to the wholesome words. Even the word of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which accord with godliness. Such person is proud and knows nothing. I'm sorry. Knows nothing. Because we have to uphold the holiness of God. In our families, husbands and wives, the holiness of God must be upheld. We have to teach the fear of God to our children. Everywhere. 
If we teaching, if we say we teaching the word of God, and there's no emphasis on the fear of God, then that's something else. Ah, if anyone does not consent to the wholesome of the words. Hmm. So, can I come to preach the word of God without consenting to preach the full counsel of God? Am I allowed to pick and choose what I want to teach? Certainly the wholesome of the word of God. I'm telling you, I've never seen a word with so many synonyms. Wholesome. I thought it was a small word. So many synonyms, and all the synonyms are positive with a good meaning. I don't know if I have some here. Now, yes, I have some here. Wholesome, wholesome means healthy, Health-giving, good, beneficial, sustaining, strengthening, nourishing, natural, uncontaminated, organic, additive-free, additive, additive free. morally pure, clean, innocent, chaste, uplifting, edifying, righteous, correct, honorable, honest, just, noble, decent, simple, wholesome. That's the word. If anyone does not consent to that, he shouldn't be preaching the word of God. As simple as that. Because the word of God is meant to produce this, what I've just listed there, in people's hearts. If anyone does not consent to that, he's proud and knows nothing. That's what the Bible says. God people need to learn righteousness and God's character through sound biblical doctrine. It is the responsibility of the teachers to do that, primarily, to make sure that that happens. How it is received and what people decide to do with that, that's not our problem. Our problem is to press on and to set the table and give you the will of God and proclaim to you the truthfulness of the gospel. What you decide to do about it, it's your responsibility. Last Sunday, Brother John gave a very, very good teaching. You know, I think four days ago he was calling me to discuss something, and I say, oh, I'm actually listening to your teaching. He say, ah, really? That's really encouraging. Yes. Preachers are encouraged when people bear fruit. Because these things take time. We need to seek the Lord because of you. Now, what you do with these things is your responsibility. You may say, I don't want to hear that. You may say, oh, that's not for me. That's your responsibility. My responsibility as a teacher is to make sure, because I'm under authority too, and accountable to God as well. Well, take time. Read your Bible. Listen to good teaching. Pray. Exchange messages with believers. Be strengthened and edified. That's the way we will go and progress with the Lord. Otherwise, it's impossible. So, dear brethren, we are under intense responsibility before God to make sure that you receive what you have to receive because we are accountable to God. And that's what we try to do by his grace for your growth and edifying, edification. 
Paul says this. I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. That's what Paul says. The whole counsel of God is given to them. Why? Because he says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come. And among you, false teachers will rise. And they will not spare the flock. Because of that, Paul felt it necessary to release the full counsel of God. And not hold back anything. So the idea of the wholesomeness of the teaching is very important. I think I don't need another session because I can just jump a whole paragraph and conclude. You may be wondering yourself, what's that big deal? What's the problem with this wholesomeness? Why is it important? I'm going to tell you why. We've been talking about religion. There is something called cults. Cults. But cults, C-U-L-T-S, they are Christian cults and non-Christian cults. But they are all cults. How do you recognize a Christian cult? How? Because the other one is easy. But it's the Christian cult that poses himself as a, you know, part of the body of Christ. How do we recognize that? I know you must be saying, I want to hear that. I really want to hear that. This Jehovah Witness. I'm going to tell you. You probably know that already. But I'm just going to emphasize that. They make a private interpretation of the word of God. That's the key. Private interpretation of the word of God. All the cults, big and small, private interpretation. Remember what Jude said? The faith that was once for all delivered to the same. Remember what Paul told Timothy? If no one, if anyone does not consent to the wholesome of the word of God. There is a journey of the Christian faith. If anyone comes with something new that contradicts and does not align with the word of God, it's a cult. It doesn't matter how big is the building. It doesn't matter how many doctorates they have. The word of God is not subject to private interpretation. That's the problem. That's where the problem is. A man called Charles Russell, the founder of the Jehovah Witness, came with his own interpretation. Joseph Smith, the founder of the Mormons, they came with their own interpretation. Muhammad in a cave came with his own interpretation. And some more people, I don't want to offend anybody, but uh, there are people who came you know, with interpretation that trouble the church of God now. Cause a lot of division and trouble. But it's outside the core teaching of the Bible. Whoever they are. Private interpretation. Where did you get that from? God revealed to me. How come it contradicts the clear teaching of the Bible? Can you see Paul and Peter fighting over doctrine? Now, well, I know the Bible as well. You may say to me, yes, what about in Act 15? That wasn't really, that was about the Judaizers. That was about circumcision, you know, that people should be circumcised in order for them to be received as Christian. It's not the co-teaching of the Bible regarding salvation. Now, 
we are talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Some people think that when we speak, when the Bible speaks about the Holy Spirit, it's optional. It's not optional. Jesus said it is advantageous for you that I go so that the Holy Spirit may come. Because the Holy Spirit can transform those who believe in Christ at the same time everywhere in the world. It's the Spirit of God. Although Jesus Christ is omnipresent, but in his body, he had to move from one place to another sometimes to resolve issues. As well as being able to do it remotely without being there and knowing everything. But he says, it is in your advantage that the Holy Spirit come and dwells in you in order to lead you. But some people think the Holy Spirit, why? Okay, that's that. No, 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 no. The Holy Spirit is not a spare tire. No. It's not a spare tire just in case. No. It's the engine. Because without him, there's nothing we can do. Now listen to this. Some people have come up with an idea or say, okay, yes, we believe the Holy Spirit, but we believe that the, the gift of the Holy Spirit have ceased. You know, the, the gift of the Holy Spirit have ceased. Says who? By which authority? And then they contradict between themselves. They give themselves names, cessationists, continuationists, and, huh? and confusing the people of God in the process. What is that? You know, with which authority? You know, if I speak, this speak of this man called John MacArthur, you know, who is uh, very acclaimed by people and very followed, you know, and as I'm, I'm saying his name, you know, some people may, who are you? Well, I'm gay. And amongst you people speaking in tongues, good sound believers, are you demon possessed? With which authority will John MacArthur say the gift of the Holy Spirit have ceased? With which authority? Yet it's followed by millions. And people say, who are you? Do you know him? He's written a Bible. Yeah, I know he's written a Bible with his commentary. And a very good sister I know has shredded it. It doesn't matter who they are. If it's false, it's false. With which authority will you confuse the people of God and say the gift of the Holy Spirit have ceased? What about those who prophesy? What about the discerning of the Spirit? Are we fabricating things? Well, I was, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit the same time I received Christ and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave me utterance. And I know many Christians, many, 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 with gifts of prophecy, etc. Now, we don't believe that because John MacArthur said, Grace Church is powerful. Gee, you haven't written even a pamphlet. <laughs> Problems. <laughs> okay, I think that's enough. That's enough. Paul asked the question to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 3, verse 1 to 3. Who has bewitched you? Having started with the Holy Spirit, are you going to end up in the flesh? Because John MacArthur said, you started well believing in God, asking, praying, aspiring for his Holy Spirit, leading you. Now, because I've read the commentary from Grace Church, I think the Holy Spirit gives Jesus because what is perfect has come. Huh? 
Sorry. Having begun in the spirit, are you now being made in flesh? Paul is worried about the Galatians. But how did all this happen? Galatians 2, 4. False brethren secretly brought in, who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ, that they might bring us into bondage. Remember one of the definitions of religion is keeping people into bondage. So we've been freed from religion, we're running with Christ, and some people want to bring us back into religion. Because when you remove the Holy Spirit, what is left? Human reasoning. Trouble. The most eloquent people win the prize, the trophy. But when the Holy Spirit is leading, everybody is under the same obligation. Godliness is holiness, but it is also living God's way, or God living in us. It's also biblical piety. His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. 2 Peter 1, 3-4. Partaking to the divine nature does not mean making an effort to raise so-called godhood from within us. As per the New Age teaching, they've confused that passage that say his divine power has given us everything that pertains to godliness and holiness. So they've changed that to say we are raising Godhood in us, and they use that, that verse. That's not what it means. The Bible continues by saying, by fleeing the corruption that is in this world. That's what it means by the divine nature, because God is holy. We are transformed in Christ-likeness or his image daily by the Holy Spirit who also teaches us and helps us to escape the corruption and lust of this world. Great is the mystery of godliness. 1 Timothy 3.16 Christ's death and resurrection that sustain godliness and newness is actually denied. Without his death and resurrection, there's no newness of life, there's no godliness. By denying the power of godliness, people are actually denying the death and resurrection of Christ and his work. That's the reality. It's the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. Do you remember in Acts 19, Paul came to Ephesus and asked the believers, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? They say, we haven't even heard about it, that there was a spirit. He says, so, of which baptism were you baptized then? They say in John, Paul prayed for them, and they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. I am in Acts 19. Act 19, verse 19, something happened. What does the Bible say? And the word of God grew mightily and prevailed. They were just going round and round, round and round. No power, no baptism of the Holy Spirit. Human reasoning, just going, is a, a war of no, human knowledge, head knowledge. The Holy Spirit was not at work. And when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, what happened? The same people. Number one, those who have practiced magic before, they came and confessed that to the church, and they burned those magic books those believers were keeping in their house. True deliverance. Now, the word of God began to do its work in, in their lives. The Bible says, the word grew mightily and prevailed. It had its fruit, intended fruit. 
We can't have people sitting there. I am a Christian entertaining demonic things in their house. They won't be deliverance like that. They came, they confessed. And they forsake those things. And the Bible says the books, those magic books, costing about 50,000 something, were burned. And they were delivered. We can't mix Jesus with other things. It's just complicating things. We have to be fully delivered. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And he is willing to do that. The word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Psalm 96 verse 9. Perilous men for perilous times, a form of godliness. God bless you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to bless you for your grace and for your people. Those who have committed their lives to you and trust you to the end. We say thank you for each life here. We thank you for the love they have for you. Having turned from idolatry to worship the living God. Thank you, Lord, for each believer and for this congregation. We pray that, Lord, you will keep us, Lord, away from complacency. You will keep us away from infiltration. In fact, by the Holy Spirit, all ungodly things will be exposed that we may grow. That the word of God might prosper and grow mightily and prevail over anything, any argument that would try to exalt itself above the knowledge of God. Bless each one of us, Lord. We commit our time of fellowship unto your holy hand. And we pray, Lord, for the coming AGM. May the Spirit of Christ prevail and Christ be glorified in everything we do. We give you glory and honor in the name of Jesus. Amen.